أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وآله الطيبين الطاهرين اللهم صل على محمد وآل محمد The Quraysh, after many many years of persecuting the Prophet and the Muslims and trying every way possible to stop this religion, realize that all their efforts have failed. Once they lose patience and they realize there's nothing else they can do to stop this Prophet, they call for an urgent meeting in Dar al-Nadwa. Dar al-Nadwa, it was a house founded in the year 475 AD. So that's exactly about a century, almost a century before the birth of the Holy Prophet Because the Prophet was born in which year? 570 AD. This is 475. So we're talking about 95 years before the birth of the Holy Prophet. This house was founded Basically, the elders of Mecca would gather in this house, they would meet, discuss important matters, and they would make important decisions. So they call for an urgent meeting, the leaders of Quraysh, in this house, Dar al-Nadwa, to discuss what their next step would be. For a long time, Quraysh had contemplated the idea of assassinating the Prophet. That did cross their minds many, many times before. But they realized that doing so would come with a big responsibility. Who's going to kill the Prophet? Any person would kill the Prophet would drag his entire tribe into a drawn out war with Bani Hashim and, and you know the, the family of Bani Hashim. Remember the Prophet came from the family of Bani Hashim, they were a strong, well respected family. So if you assassinate the Prophet, that means Bani Hashim are going to attack your tribe. They would seek retribution. So no one really dared to do that. And this is a main reason why they had not seriously considered killing the Prophet. Who's going to take that responsibility? No one wants to go to war with Bani Hashim. They also had some alliances with other tribes. So no one had, had the audacity to do something like that. Now, Some books of history like Al-Bidayah wa Nahaya, which is a Sunni book of history, it claims, it makes the claim, and this is very possible, we do have such references in history, such similar incidents. It says that Iblis, the big Satan, came in the form of a Najdi looking man, an Arabian looking man from the area of Najd. He joined this urgent meeting that they called for, and he also gave his opinion. Numerous tribal leaders gathered and they just said, you know, enough is enough, let's finish this. Some suggested to arrest the Prophet and imprison him, but they realized, you know, until when can we imprison him? Eventually the Bani Hashim will pressure us so much such that we have to leave him. Some said, let's banish him, let's exile him from Arabia. They figured that's not a great idea because he'll just get stronger out there and then he'll come back after us. So they were stuck not knowing what to do. Yes, did you have a question? So Iblis gives them the idea 
and Abu Jahl is the one who supports this idea. They're like, look, if any single person kills the Prophet, that tribe to whom this person belongs to will be in trouble. So let's select 15 well-respected men, ages 40 and older, from each tribe, each powerful tribe, and have these 15 together kill the Prophet. Now what is Bani Hashim going to do? Go to war with 15 tribes? That's not possible. You can't go to war with 15 tribes, it's just not possible. One tribe, two tribes, you can. Not 15, not everybody in Mecca. So they'll settle for the diya, for the blood money. We'll sit with Bani Hashim, we'll apologize to them, okay here, we'll give you the blood money, the diya, and it's over. They loved the idea. They realized this is fantastic. Not a single tribe or person will be responsible for the death of the Prophet. So they decided, let's execute this plan. Let's execute this wonderful plan, they thought. Let's have 15 people take each one a sword in their hands. At once they strike the Prophet with one blow, such that they all participate in the killing of the Prophet. So once they decided to go with this plan, something very important happens. This is now the night of the Hijrah, the very last night of the Prophet staying in Mecca. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals a verse in the Holy Quran and God informs the Prophet of this evil plot. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals the following verse, Surah Al-Anfal verse 30, وَإِذْ يَمْكُرُ بِكَ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا لِيُثْبِتُوكَ أَوْ يَقْتُلُوكَ أَوْ يُخْرِجُوكَ وَيَمْكُرُونَ وَيَمْكُرُ اللَّهِ وَاللَّهُ خَيْرُ الْمَاكِرِينَ And the disbelievers, they developed a scheme, an evil plan against you to either take you as a captive or kill you or drive you away because these were the three options that they discussed. Then Allah says, they scheme and Allah schemes and Allah has the best of planners. So Allah informs the Prophet through Jibra'il. After being informed of this assassination plot, what is the first thing the Prophet does? The first move that he takes. It's a very important move that really tells us who the leader after the Prophet was. When you're told such an important news that you're being, you're about to be assassinated tonight, you share this news with the closest person to you, with a person whom you fully, fully trust and you find trustworthy. Now if you look at the Muslim Ummah and how they glorify certain personalities in history, you would assume he probably told who? He probably told Abu Bakr, right? The first Khalifa, obviously. La la, he told Umar. No, he told Uthman. Who did the Prophet tell? The Prophet goes immediately to Ali ibn Abi Talib And he informs him. Why does the Prophet go to Imam Ali? Because the Prophet knew there was one companion whose only concern in life is to protect the Prophet. And he'll do anything to protect the Prophet. That's his priority. So he goes to Amir al-Mu'mineen Ali ibn Abi Talib 
and he tells him, Allah has informed me that the pagans have decided to kill me in this way, Allah has commanded me to leave Mecca, however for their plot to fail and for me to leave, I need you to sleep in my bed, to act as if I am in my bed, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will help me leave the city of Mecca and they'll think I'm still in my bed. Are you willing? What is the first question Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib asked the Prophet? The first question, what's going to happen? Will they kill me? Will they not kill me? No. He says, Ya Rasulullah, if I do that, will you be okay? The Prophet says, yes. If you do that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will save me, I'll be okay. Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib smiles, he falls into sujood, prostration, thanking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for giving him this honor. He says, Ya Rasulullah, if you're safe, I accept. Notice he does not ask about his own fate. Not a single question from Imam Ali, what will happen to me? Will I be wounded? Will they attack me? Oh, nothing, nothing. His only, only concern was the safety of the Holy Prophet Once the Prophet sees Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib is willing to sacrifice himself, the Prophet had a Yemeni Hadrami cloak, came from Yemen, it was a cloak that the Prophet would normally wear, so if anyone was wearing that cloak, you know, you would think it was the Prophet wearing it. He gives it to Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib and he tells him wear this and be dressed in this cloak when they attack, so they would think that it's the Prophet sleeping there. So he agreed and Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib went to the Prophet's bed that night. The 15 men come, they surround the house of the Holy Prophet Initially their plan was to attack at night. Abu Lahab, the uncle of the Prophet, he was evil but he's the uncle of the Prophet, he has relatives in the house, he told them, look there are women and children in the house, let's not attack at night, wait till dawn, at Fajr then attack. You know because at Fajr people wake up and you don't want to just scare these women and the children in the middle of the night, they agreed, they said fine, we'll go to the house at night and we'll surround the house, make sure that the Prophet doesn't leave, then in the morning we'll strike. So this was now their scheme and their plan. That night after, the, after, the, after sunset when the sky darkened, the Prophet set out from his house to leave. Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib was now in the room, the Prophet now wants to leave. Now when the Prophet wanted to leave, they were now outside. The 15 men were now surrounding the house of the Prophet to make sure that he doesn't leave. So as he was leaving the house, the Prophet does two things. The first one, he recites this, su this verse from Surah Yasin. وَجَعَلْنَا مِن بَيْنِ أَيْدِيهِمْ سَدًّا وَمِن خَلْفِهِمْ سَدًّا فَأَغْشَيْنَاهُمْ فَهُمْ لَا يُبْصُرُونَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says re regarding the uh, unbelievers, and we have placed a barrier before them and a barrier behind them and have covered them up so they're unable to see. Allah, uh, the Prophet reads this verse. By the way, we call this the verse of protection, right? Whenever, this is Surah Yasin. Yeah, but that's a normal question. Like, oh, that's what you're able to 
ayatus said, yes, ayatus said, the ayah of barrier or protection. Yes, we call this ayatus said, and you know, a lot of people recite it if they don't want to get caught doing something. I even find a lot of friends, if uh, they're concerned about the cops, seeing them, they would recite this uh, verse. Yes, one friend from California once told me, I was driving, uh, I don't know, he was speeding or he passed the red light, he did something. He's like, I saw a cop with, with his, I mean, he was actively seeing, whether the radar gun in his hand or just monitoring the intersection. He's like, I knew I was speeding and the minute I realized there's a car, I read the verse. He told me, say it, the minute I read the verse, he lowered his head and he just didn't see me. <laughs> so the Prophet he actually did recite this verse for protection and this is also for protection. Now, you know, be safe on the road. Don't say, okay, now I have a verse, let me break any law. No, that's not acceptable. Be safe. But yes, for protection, if there are enemies who want to hurt you, this is good for protection. So the Prophet he recites this verse. That's the first thing he does. The second thing he does, he takes a handful of sand, of sand from his house. And as he opens the door to leave, he recites the verse and he takes a handful of the sand and he casts it towards the 15 men. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blows the sand, a wind comes, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala orders the wind, the wind comes blowing, taking the sand into their faces. So now sand gets into their eyes, they're disconfigured, right? The Prophet takes, seizes this moment and he leaves, so they don't notice him. Now this was normal, they did not find this unusual because Mecca is a desert, and it's very normal if you have some wind blowing, sand can get in your face. So they really didn't think anything of it. They didn't suspect that the Prophet now just left. They just thought, okay, yeah, the wind just blew and, it, and there's sand on our faces. But that's how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protected the Prophet It was dark, remember it's at night, so they can't really see that much anyway. And now there's the sand in their faces. They lost their orientation. So the Prophet sees that moment and he safely left the house. Then the Prophet when he left the house, he headed towards the cave of Thawr. This is something we'll examine later. You know, what happened to the Prophet as he was going there? Who accompanied him? Did Abu, did Abu Bakr accompany him? In what condition did he accompany him? And some details later. Let's now go back to Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib So the Prophet manages to escape safely. The Imam was now sleeping in the Prophet's place. The Prophet didn't really have a bed that he would sleep on. The Prophet was humble, he'd sleep on the floor. But he had a designated place where he would sleep in his house. So Imam Ali goes to that place and he would sleep in the Prophet's place. Now the Prophet would sleep alone in those years, why? Because Lady Khadija had already passed away. So the Prophet, you know, he would sleep by himself in that place. At this time, the Prophet was not married. He did not have a wife who was with him in the room. So the Prophet's place was known. He would sleep there every night. Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib goes to the Prophet's place. He's wearing the Prophet's garment and he's sleeping there. These 15 men, they come, they take a peek. They peek in to make sure the Prophet is there. So they see, yeah, 
a person is lying down, it's, it's dark, they couldn't really see who this person is, but he was wearing the Prophet's garment in the Prophet's place, so yes, nothing unusual here, the Prophet sleeps there every night. Now, when they became certain that this is the Prophet, when they were able to discern his garment, they carried out their nightly tradition of doing what? Stoning the Prophet On many nights during these last three years after the Sha'ab of Abu Talib, the pagans would come to the house of the Prophet and they would take stones and hurl it at the Prophet Yes, this is some part of the Prophet's history that we're not really told. The Prophet had to struggle from this and he wouldn't say anything, he wouldn't do anything. So that means he was bruised? Yes, they would bruise the Prophet. Now he, with his garment he, he would protect himself but it still hurts. Rocks being hurled at you. Just imagine, imagine the level of harassment. So when they started this tradition of you know, hitting the Prophet, Imam Ali was there. The hadith states when they hit that body thinking it was the Prophet, they hit Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib salam. Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib salam groaned in pain. Whereas the Prophet would not say, he would not make any sounds when they would hit him. Scholars analyze this, why? Imam Ali is patient, he is a very patient man and you know just a few rocks hurled at him are not going to make him cry. Why did he cry? He was happy, he was smiling that night to be sacrificing his life for the Prophet. When he got hit by the stones, the hadith says he started crying even with a voice, he started groaning. Why? He felt what the Prophet had to go through every night. So he cried for the Prophet This is what you go every night through. So he knew the Prophet was harassed, but when you go through that experience yourself and you just imagine the greatest creation of God going through this every night, that made Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib cry. He couldn't hold back his tears. So the Imam Ali is very saddened to remember how the Prophet would be harassed every night like that. So now Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib is lying down, waiting for their attack any minute. This is now at night, dawn has not come yet. Something amazing happens. Sunnis have narrated this in their books, so have Shias narrated in these books. For example, you have Ibn al-Athir, he's narrated this. Ghazali, He's narrated this. As Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib is lying down waiting for their attack, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks to two of His greatest angels, Jibra'il and Mikail. Allah reveals to them, Allah tells them, I have made you brothers, Jibra'il, Mikail, your brothers, I've assigned you as brothers. And I have made the life of one of you longer than the life of the other. Which one of you is willing to give that longer life to the other one? I've made you as brothers, one of you will live longer. Now I want to see you if you're willing to sacrifice. Which one of you is willing to take the shorter life and give the longer life to your brother? Both angels said, oh Allah, we prefer to have the longer life. Both angels said that. They're great angels. 
and the desire to live longer is, it's a good desire, it's okay. They didn't do anything wrong, but they said we prefer to have the longer life. Sunnis, Sunnis have narrated this. At that point, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells them, couldn't you be like Ali ibn Abi Talib I made him the brother of the Prophet. I assigned him as the brother of my messenger and he is willing to give up his life for the Prophet Go down to earth and protect him. Jibra'il and Mika'il, they come, they come down to the earth. They go to Amir al-Mu'mineen Ali ibn Abi Talib, he's sleeping in the Prophet's bed and they, the hadith says, the Sunni hadith says, Jibra'il goes at the head of Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib, protecting him from that side. And Mika'il is now at the feet of Amir al-Mu'mineen salam. And Jibra'il tells Imam Ali, he tells him, O oh, son of Abu Talib, how lucky are you? Who is like you such that God praises you to the angels? This is Amir al-Mu'mineen and this is, as I said, not just Shia sources. We have Sunni sources that have narrated this incident. This is the sacrifice of Amir al-Mu'mineen Now at dawn, right before daybreak, they said, let's now start the attack. So they go into the room, they're now running towards, they think it's still, still the Prophet, they run towards him, he was, clo you know, he was now covered with the cloak, they start beating you know, Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib salam, and they remove the cloak from him. As soon as they remove the cloak, they're now shocked. They see a different person. Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib jumps out of his bed. Now at the forefront of those 15 evil men was Khalid ibn al-Walid. He was leading them and he's carrying his sword in his hand. Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib jumps out of his bed, he takes the hands of Khalid ibn Walid, he twists his hand and he takes the sword from him. And when they see their warrior Khalid, their big warrior, humiliated like that by a 23 year old young man, they get so frightened like sheep, they just start leaving the room. Yes, that is the historical description of the hadith, like sheep they start leaving the room. So once they gain their composure, they see this is not the Prophet, this is Imam Ali. They tell him, are, are you Ali, son of Abu Talib? He says, yes, I am Ali, son of Abu Talib. They tell him, where's your companion? Meaning the Prophet He says, I don't know, he's left. They're in utter shock. Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib completely demoralizes them because they were so ecstatic that tonight, it will be over, that's it. Now a 23 year old young man humiliates them like that. And their leader Khalid ibn al-Walid, he humiliates them like that. They were just shocked, absolutely shocked not knowing what to do. So they go to their elders of, of the Mecca, Meccan Quraysh and they tell him, look our assassination plot has been foiled by a 23 year old young man and he's nowhere to be found. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala after this incident reveals the following verse in the Holy Quran, Surah Al-Baqarah verse 207.
ومن الناس من يشري نفسه ابتغاء مرضات الله والله رؤوف بالعباد and there are among people some who are willing to sell their lives dedicate their lives to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sacrifice their life for Allah and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is immensely kind to such devoted servants now this verse was honored in this verse was revealed in honor of Ali ibn Abi Talib to honor this act of sacrifice. Some other schools of thought they've disputed that Allah revealed this verse for Imam Ali. First of all, we have many, many Sunni sources that say this verse was revealed in honor of Amir al Mu'mini. Let me read to you some of these sources. For example, Ahmad ibn Hanbal in his book Al Musnad, he narrates this. In his tafsir, Al Thalabi in his tafsir, Al Hasakani in his Shawahid al Tanzil tafsir work. He narrates this from Ibn Abbas that Allah revealed this verse on the night of the Hijrah in honor of Ali ibn Abi Talib. Al Qurtubi also talks about this verse. Ibn Asakir, Ibn Al Athir, Ibn Hajar, Halabi in his Seerah. So many Sunni sources that clearly state Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed this verse in honor of Ali ibn Abi Talib Now those who have a disease in their hearts like Ibn Taymiyyah, he rejects it. No, this is not about Ali ibn Abi Talib. And he makes an argument that the Surah Al-Baqarah is a Madani Surah, whereas this verse is revealed in Mecca on the last night of the Hijrah, right? Before the Hijrah. So that's proof that this is all false, even though there are tens and tens and tens of sources which make this hadith mutawatir. According to Sunni schools of thought, this is mutawatir. Because to many Sunni schools of thought, you only need 10 sources for a hadith to be successive and generate certainty. Yet he rejects it. Interestingly, we find that Al-Halabi, who has the famous work of Sirah on the Prophet, he responds to Ibn Taymiyyah. He says, Ibn Taymiyyah, you have no right to falsify this hadith that states Allah revealed this verse in honor of Imam Ali. First of all, we have so many sources, how do you deny them? Secondly, true, Surah Al-Baqarah is a Madani chapter, however what? Exactly, you can have some verses that were revealed in Mecca. And in fact, this is very common in the Quran. You have many Meccan chapters, some of their verses were revealed in Medina. You have many Madani chapters, some of their verses were revealed in Mecca. So this is quite common in the Holy Quran. This is not something unusual. We have many, many such examples. Surah Al-Isra, for example, it's a Mecca verse, uh, Mecca surah. Some of its uh, verses, according to Sunni and Shia, were revealed later in Medina, and vice versa. So he tells him this is not uncommon. Imagine you have a Sunni scholar addressing who <laughs> Ibn Taymiyyah, telling him that you know this is wrong for you to say that. So we accept that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed this verse in honor of Amir al-Mu'mini. Now Ibn Taymiyyah and some others, they say no, Allah revealed this verse about a companion of the Prophet named Suhaib al-Rumi. Yes, brother. Just a footnote in there, I, I read it long time ago, um, that the Khawarij say that this, is, this verse goes to Abu Mujah. Yes, Muawiyah, may Allah curse him, he summoned Samara ibn Jundub, one of the companions. 
evil companion. He told him, what does it take for me to give you? What does it take for you to say that this verse, those who sacrifice their life in the way of Allah, that was revealed about Ibn Muljam, the killer of Imam Ali. What will it take for you to say, I heard this from the Prophet as a companion? Started negotiating 50,000, 100,000 coins, 200,000. They settle on 400,000 coins. Muawiyah pays Samara ibn Jundub 400,000 coins to fabricate a hadith claiming that he heard the Prophet saying, Allah revealed this verse in honor of Ibn Muljam, the killer of Amir al-Mu'minat. And this is Muawiyah whom they praise. So yes, the Khawarij did make that claim and Muawiyah was instrumental in the fabrication of this hadith. So now Ibn Taymiyyah and others, they claim Allah revealed this verse in honor of who? Suhaib al-Rumi. Suhaib al-Rumi was a companion of the Prophet from Bani Nimr. In the beginning of his life, he lived a very comfortable life. You know, he enjoyed economic comfort. He was affluent, he came from an affluent family. And he was initially in Iraq and they had a palace there, a castle there with his father. Then later on, the Romans, they waged a war on Iraq at the time and they imprisoned the people of that village which Suhaib lived in. So he was taken as a prisoner of war by the Romans. Then later on, he went to Rome, right? They took him as a prisoner of war. So he went to the Roman Empire. He learned how to read and write. He learned the Roman language. And after a while, his master who owned him in, Ro in, in the Roman Empire, he frees him. After he frees him, he learns the art of trade, how to do trade, how to be a successful businessman and he really becomes a very successful businessman. Then when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent the Holy Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi, Suhaib and his you know, last name is Ar-Rumi, the Roman Suhaib, he comes to Mecca, he hears about the Prophet, in those early years he becomes a Muslim. So he becomes one of the companions who joins the message of the Holy Prophet And the Prophet would give him the title of Abu Yahya. No, that, that was an honorary title that the Prophet would give him. Now what happened is that when the Prophet migrated to Medina, Suhaib was amongst the migrants too, who migrated from Mecca to Medina. The pagans stopped him. He was very wealthy, he had a lot of camels, a lot of wealth, they stopped him. They told him, look, we're not going to let you go. You can't go unless you give up your wealth. He says, fine, I'll give you some of my wealth. He gives them some camels. They said, no, more, all of your camels. He says, fine, I'll do it in the way of the Prophet, I'll do it. I want to be rejoined with the Prophet. If that's what it takes for you to release me, fine, take my camels. They take all of his camels. Now he had kept one camel for himself to go to Medina with. They said, no, even that camel. He was wearing some expensive clothes. They told him, even those expensive clothes, you give it to us. He says, take everything and just let me go. They let him go. He goes and he joins the Prophet When the Prophet looks at him, now this, this was such a big event, everybody was talking about it. 
I mean, just imagine somebody giving up all his wealth just to go and join someone. It's not something anybody would do, right? So when the Prophet met him in Mecca, in Medina, according to these hadiths, the Prophet told him, Rabih al-bay'u ya Aba Yahya. Oh Aba Yahya, it's true they stripped you from your wealth, but your transaction succeeded. Allah blessed your transaction because now you came and joined the Holy Prophet and he said it three times. And you know, Suhaib, he was very happy that the Prophet accepted this act of sacrifice. So Ibn Taymiyyah and others, they say that Allah then revealed this verse in honor of Suhaib for his act of sacrifice in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We find this objectionable for a number of reasons. Number one, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what is the wording He uses in this verse? Very specific wording. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمِنَ النَّاسِ مَنْ يَشْرِي And there are those people who yashri themselves. In Arabic, what does the word yashri mean? Sell, right? And there are those who sell their lives. What Suhaib did was the exact opposite. What did he do? He bought his life. He sacrificed his wealth to stay alive because they were about to kill him. He sacrificed his wealth to stay alive. So he actually bought and saved his life and he went and joined the Prophet. But that's not the exact wording of the Qur'an. The Qur'an says, and those who sell their lives, meaning he's, sac he's putting his life in danger. Suhaib did the exact opposite. His life was in danger when they caught him. He sacrificed his wealth to save his life. So that's not an accurate description of the Qur'an if we want to apply it to what Suhaib did. So that in itself is proof that this verse has to do with Imam Ali السلام, a person who did something which was about to get him killed. He's literally putting his life in danger. Yes? Is that why the ta is silent in there? Because uh, also they're silent. Could there be an explanation? You mean man yashtari and yashri? See, yashtari in Arabic means to buy. Yashri means to sell. That's the difference between yashri and yashtari. Don't you say in Arabic yashtarat, right? Yashtari. Yashtari means to buy. Yeah. Now, selling has two words in Arabic. One is yabi'. Another is yashri, to sell. And that's the tafsir of the verse, to sell. So the verse is saying there's someone who sold his life to Allah, not he bought his life from a God. <laughs> because, that, because if you look at the whole verse, it's talking about an act of sacrificing a life that's only compatible with selling, not buying. Buying is when you do something to protect yourself. Imam Ali did the exact opposite. He did something that put himself in danger. And the verse is talking about a person who's giving his life to God. So while Suhaib did an act of sacrifice, but that's not how you describe it. So this is an indication that this was revealed about another person who is Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib This is you know, not even just examining the senad of, of these reports. They're weak senads that talk about 
you know, um, Suhaib being the person in whose honor the verse was revealed. And remember, we have tawatur on the other side. We have mutawatir hadiths that say it was Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib How you, can you take a hadith with one or two weak sanads and put it in the face of a mutawatir hadith? That's not possible. And I mentioned to you so many Sunni scholars who believe this was about Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib By the way, the sources I mentioned to you, the 10 or 15, these were just Sunni, not Shia. If you look at our sources, in the tens. So this is a mutawatir hadith and you can't dismiss a mutawatir hadith with one or two hadiths that are claiming otherwise. Number three, we actually have a problem in these hadiths that talk about Suhaib. They claim that, if you look at the wording of the hadith, the hadith claims that Suhaib when he was migrating and Allah revealed this verse, he was an old man. However, Suhaib was not an old man at this time. Suhaib, according to historical, historical references, was in fact in his 30s when he did the hijrah. So that's also an indication that these are fabrications because the hadith, when it was later fabricated, it's describing Suhaib as an old man migrating to Medina, whereas he was only in his 30s. So for these reasons and other reasons, we don't accept the claim that this was about Suhaib and this was indeed about the uh, Imam alayhi salam. Now a few quick observations and next week we'll examine the Prophet going to the cave and some incidents that happened in the cave. Remember, Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib salam stunned the angels of God with his acts of sacrifice. That's big, that's really big. Number two, this incident tells us no one was qualified to sleep in the Prophet's bed other than Ali ibn Abi Talib. You want me to accept that they were qualified to sit on his mimbar and pulpit? The Prophet did not find them eligible, qualified to sleep in his bed. You think he really found them eligible to sit on his pulpit and rule the Muslim Ummah? Where is our moral compass? The Prophet is told there's an assassination plot. Out of all these companions, he runs to Ali ibn Abi Talib and he trusts him with the secret. And you make Ali ibn Abi Talib number four. When the Prophet in every incident in his life, he treated him as number one. Look at the acts of injustice. To the Prophet before Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib. Isn't this insulting to the Prophet himself? When he had a legacy and a habit of always making Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib first, the closest to him, he entrusted him with his secrets. He only found him worthy of giving the sacrifice. But they make others number one, two, and three. And they push Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib to four. And they say four, but if you really analyze what they say about him, very problematic. Sometimes he's not even poor because there's a hadith, clear hadith that says during the Prophet's time they used to consider Abu Bakr, Omar, and Uthman number three, and the rest of the Muslims are the same. Meaning that Imam Ali was the equivalent to the others, yeah. Very problematic. Now, this verse is such a clear virtue for Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib that presented other schools of thought a historical dilemma. 
What do you do about this act of sacrifice? Such praise. So what do they do? In order to overshadow the virtue of the Imam sleeping in the Prophet's grave the night of Hijrah, remember that's how the Hijrah started. Whenever you remember the migration of the Prophet and whenever you hear the words uh, after Hijrah, 1439 AH, whenever you hear Hijrah, remember that night there was a sacrifice that made that Hijrah possible. In order to cover that, eclipse it and overshadowed it, they came and they became obsessed with the virtue of the cave and the verse of the cave and it became the greatest virtue God gave any companion in the history of any prophet. Only to eclipse, to eclipse what Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib did. So next we'll examine the verse of the cave. Was it a virtue for Imam Ali, Ali for Abu Bakr or not? How did Abu Bakr end up there to begin with? Why did the Prophet take him? Was it a virtue? Was it not a virtue? These are some points we'll discuss next week inshallah. وصلى الله على محمد وآله الطيبين الطاهرين